When the Door Opens, a podcast about psychology, feelings, and relationships. Hi guys, so today I'm going to talk about the superego and the structural model of Freud. And in order to understand the superego, we really have to understand what is the structural model because the superego is part of the structural model that Freud described. So let's start to talk about the structural model first. And this is the second model he used to describe us, the human beings, and therapeutic processes that we go through. And as you recall in the first chapter, we described the topographical model, which is the first theoretical model that Freud had about human beings. The topographical model basically divided our human psyche to three parts, our conscious part, our unconscious part, and our pre-conscious part. And for Freud, therapy meant taking content from the unconscious and making it conscious. And the best way to do it, according to Freud, was speaking about our problems, about our issues, about our emotions. And in the first chapter of this podcast, we described at length this model and how effective it is and how it radically changed the therapeutic world and our understanding of ourselves as human beings. And this begs the question, if the first model of Freud was so effective, Why did he need a second model, the structural model, which we are going to describe in this chapter? So let's try to understand this. Freud saw that his first model had a few problems. The first thing that he saw was that he, in the beginning, described our unconscious part as something that holds in it our more animal-like tendencies, meaning our aggression, our sexual drives, what we would call impulses, uninhibited aggression and sexuality. But the more and more Freud treated patients, he started to understand that not only are so-called lower parts, animal-like parts, could be unconscious, but also higher parts. What kind of higher parts am I talking about? So first of all, I'm talking about what Freud described as our defense mechanisms. So for Freud, not only our sexuality and aggression can be unconscious, but also our defense mechanism against discovering those tendencies, what he called resistance. So if a patient would come to Freud and Freud would play an association game with that patient and tell him, what is the first thing that you think about when I say mother? So the patient could sit and tell Freud, uh, nothing comes up. I'm sort of blank. So Freud discovered basically that people not only repress their emotions and let's say aggressive tendencies, they also repress their objections to talk about those issues. In other words, not only what we repress and deny could be unconscious to us, but also the fact that we are repressing and denying, that could also be unconscious to us. So what I describe now is a second form of unconsciousness, which Freud described as ego, I. So we have our more sexual and aggressive tendencies, which could be unconscious, and Freud called that the id. Then we have 
our ego, our defense mechanism, which could be unconscious, and that Freud called the ego and the I. And there's a third part of us that could be unconscious, which Freud called the superego, which we will delve in deeply in this podcast. The superego is the part of us that is a more reflective part. It's the part of us that gives us criticism, that tells us if we're okay or not okay. It's a part of us that judges us by a set of values. And that part also, Freud claimed, could be unconscious. So not only can our lower parts, our beast-like parts could be unconscious, not only can our defense mechanism be unconscious, but also what seems to be very high and even noble parts of us, like our conscious, that also can be unconscious. The parts of us that differentiate between good and bad according to Freud. So this is a structural model that basically not only divides us into unconscious, pre-conscious and conscious, but also attaches three more layers to our being which each and every one of them could be unconscious, which is the id, the ego, and the superego. So now let's try and delve deeper into the subject of superego and why it's such an important part of Freud's understanding of our being. Freud basically described the superego, first of all, as the most destructive thing that could exist in our life. He described the superego as something that could cause depression, it could cause anxiety, it could cause violence, and we'll try to explain why, but let's just give the superego the credit that Freud wanted to give it as an unbelievable destructive force inside of us that can absolutely ruin our lives. Now, it's true that Freud also described, especially in the beginning of his writing, the superego is something that could be a positive force in our lives, especially with containing the id, our more beast-like behavior and tendencies. But the more and more Freud wrote about the superego and pondered it, the more he described it as the mother and father of all evil tendencies inside of us. So what is the superego? How is it created? And why did Freud think that the superego could be such a destructive force inside of us? So the superego is created according to Freud in a few ways. And I'll describe the main way which Freud describes the beginning of the superego inside of us. According to Freud, the superego is connected to our parents in the most basic and fundamental way. As young people, according to Freud, we don't have such a strong ego. So in order to manage ourselves in lives, we look at our parents to get inspiration for what is a good behavior and we want to be like them. And that breeds in us this inner voice, the superego, the inner critic, that tells us what's good and bad in the world. This process intensifies around the ages of five and six, what Freud called the time when we start the edifice complex. And it intensified because the child starts to understand that, let's say in the boy's um, the male uh, example, the, the little boy starts to understand that he's got a rival 
for his mother's attention, and that is father. And on the one hand, he wants to get close to his mother, and Freud describes this in very sexual terms. He wants to basically have sex with her. But on the other hand, he doesn't want to lose the affection and the protection of his father. He doesn't want to be castrated. So according to Freud, the male child starts to identify with the voices of his father and mother to a certain extent of what is right and wrong in the world and he feels that if he doesn't listen to the inhibition of his father and his mother about his sexual tendencies he will be punished, castrated and it's a fear of death almost. So he starts internalizing the voices of his mother and father about what is right and wrong in the world. And in a way, instead of his father or mother castrating him, the child starts metaphorically to castorize himself, to inhibit himself from deviant behavior or behaviors that he feels to be deviant, according to his parents' values. So really the superego is the way the child internalizes the voices of his parents and instead of it being the voices of his parents, it becomes his own voice telling him you're wrong, you should behave that way, you shouldn't behave that way. And another way that the superego is created is that we internalize the value of the bigger family that we have, uncles, grandmother, society. So this is a sort of social superego that we have. And in a way, my friend described this in a very nice way. He said the superego is like a chip that society and our family puts into us. And now they don't have to control us directly by telling us what we do. We start controlling and making modifications to our behavior through this inner chip that makes us feel guilty and shameful whenever we don't ascribe to the values of other people that now we internalize them as our own value system. So this is a very important point. Can we really differentiate our value systems from the value systems of our surroundings? Is our conscious, for instance, something that's inherent to us, something that springs naturally from our inner being, or is it something that we just took from our surroundings and is actually an outer voice that we made an inner voice? And how, how healthy is that superego really in our lives? So now that we understand where the superego comes from, we can try to understand why Freud thought the superego could be such a destructive force in our lives. First of all, Freud said that superego could be destructive because it could cause us depression. And why depression? Well, think about it. Somebody who's depressed usually has an inner voice that blames him, that tells him he's nothing, that he's no good for anything, that he'll never make anything of himself, that he's bad, that she should be shameful and feel guilty over everything. So depressed people have usually have an inner voice that tell them that they're worth crap. So this depression really is a form of aggression that is directed towards the self. 
But the superego could also cause us to be aggressive towards other people and to take our aggression outward. For instance, if somebody tells me that my podcast is very boring. Now, before I strike out and tell them, you're an idiot, screw you, a second before I start being aggressive towards him, it is usually because he activates inside me my own superego that criticizes me, and I hear a little voice in my head that, that tells me, yes, Akiva, your podcast sucks. And in order to defend myself against that aggression towards myself from myself, I will attack the person, the source that activated in me this little chip of self-criticism. So usually all the aggression you see in the world is from people who have a very, very strong superego and it's very easily activated by other people. Superego could also cause anxiety and perfectionism. Think about somebody who has social anxiety, for instance. So he walks into a room and immediately he feels that the people around him are judging him. He feels embarrassed. He feels awkward. He doesn't feel that he has a place in that social settings. And a lot of times he's just projecting outwards his own inner critic that he has against himself and he lets other people represent it. So he comes into a social meeting and he sees somebody looking at him and he translates that other person looking at him as if the other person is giving him criticism. He could think, oh, he probably thinks I'm an idiot, but really it's something that he thinks about himself. It's his own superego telling him that he's no good. So I think Freud's observation about how the superego could be a destructive force in our lives was a very acute observation. And I want to give you a few ways to look at this in your own life. So first of all, I would like you to think about what does your superego look like? Can you personify that superego. So I'll give an example. When I try to understand the superego that I have in this podcast, it usually looks like an 18-year-old college girl in America that's listening to this podcast and thinking to herself, I don't understand his English so well, and the podcast is kind of slow-paced, and he's not talking very fast, and so on and so on. So that's one criticism that I have on myself and the personification of it is this young college girl that really wants me to get things going with this podcast, to talk more straightforwardly about issues. And also I have another inner critic that looks more like a professor and he's like, um, oh God, you know, what is this kid trying to talk about Freud? What does he understand about Freud? This is not accurate. Um, why isn't he talking more in depth? So it's a kind of opposite superego. So I've got two very strong, actually opposite thinking superegos inside me that sort of whip me when I do this podcast. Now, if I would listen to these superegos and take them very seriously, I would obviously not do this podcast. So it seems that I have, in Freud's words, a sort of a strong ego that can resist 
this whipping of my inner superego, but each and every one of you can personify his superego. What are the sentences that you hear from your superego? What does your superego tell you? How does it usually criticize you? Does it look like a father figure, a mother figure? Does it tell you you're too serious or you're not serious enough? Some people have a superego that looks like a hippie, like a spiritual person that tells them, oh, you should be more laid back, and so on and so forth. Other people have a superego that's more like a coach. You know, get out there, motherfucker. You know, start running, bitch. Now, I'm obviously suggesting that in order to have better mental health, we should make our superego less strong. But this begs the question, is the superego really that bad? Can't the superego also help us in life? I mean, superego could be the voice that tells us, get up from your bed, you know, start doing things, get your act together. It could be a whipping tool, yes, but maybe also a motivating tool that can make our lives improve. So in the next chapter, I will try to discuss this and to see uh, either we should have a healthier superego or maybe we should have a voice that's not the superego that cons consists of a totally different energy that could also bring change in our lives. So I will meet you in the next chapter and may you have a wonderful week without a violent superego. If you found this podcast interesting, you could find more information on my site, akivaregan.com. That's A-K-I-V-A-R-A-G-E-N. Dot com. You will find there more information about courses and different options to work with me. Have a great day.